Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Alrighty, good morning again. I almost want to close the service after that worship set. Can we just thank our worship team one more time? Oh my goodness. I did want to just give a quick shout out to the two most unseen people in our church. Excuse me, one quick second. That's Tom Strifle and James Reeder doing our computer today. Can we give them a hand? They go un, unnoticed, but nothing happens. Nothing happens in this church. The amazing sound that you guys heard, the lyrics that you guys are reading, that is all them, and they do it with a grateful and a joyful heart. So thank you guys. Can we thank them one more time for their service today? Hey, but like I said, if you missed the top of the service, my name is Jose. I'm the campus pastor here for Community of Hope West Palm, and it's my honor, my privilege to finally be back with you guys after three weeks gone. If you didn't know, Giselle and I, we welcomed our first little baby boy, Caleb Jose Marrero, Caleb Jose Marrero, here to this world on Friday, January 21st um, at 11.45 p.m. I will not forget that. And... <laughs> I think he took after my, my dad's side of the family. My dad didn't have a gray hair until he was 50. I'm not kidding. And he's got a full head of hair. Show him the next picture. That's his little surprise face. We got him there. But here's my favorite one. You ready? That's his, uh, that's his daddy. Um, you're not sleeping tonight, even though you have to preach tomorrow face. Actually, the funny thing is that that's actually really true. He slept so great the whole week. And then last night. Daddy, practice your sermon at 3 a.m. Come on. Okay, I'll stay up with you. We're super excited. Giselle will be back in a couple weeks once he's a little bit earlier. But hey, just, just thank you guys so much. You, you, this church, you guys have been so supportive and so loving. I mean, the, the, the love is so tangible. Giselle and I were talking about it the other day, how... How loved do we feel by this community? It's inexplicable. So just thank you to you guys for all the love and all the grace that you guys have given. I just want to also honor Pastor Trevor. He's not here today, but if you have a moment, send him an email. Um, or if you see him later this week, just love on him. He did a lot of work these past couple weeks, as he already explained. But I just wanted to publicly thank him for the time that he spent and also Pastor Dale. Just send them a quick email. If you see them later this week, just love on them for the work that they did while I was gone. But anyways, moving on. We are currently in a series that we're calling How Life Works. And we've decided that we're going to go straight through Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're particularly going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew between chapters 5 and 7. And so far... So far in this series, we have, I mean, we've addressed some very, very challenging topics um, that sometimes a lot of churches don't venture to go into. Um, we've talked about the, the values of Jesus' kingdom, the Beatitudes, how counterintuitive, how countercultural his ethic was. We've, we've talked about anger, reconciliation. We've talked about adultery, divorce, 
human sexuality. We've talked about nonviolence and, and loving our enemies and the, the inner motivations of the heart. We've left nothing out. In other words, as a church, we have taken some bold steps forward to either begin and continue some, some necessary conversations that need to be had in our culture. And I can, can I just say that I am super proud of our church, all campuses included. I am so proud of our church that we, as a church body, can come and we can discuss these, to- these topics openly and publicly, despite any differences or even differences of opinion within the very congregation and allow the Lord to speak into our hearts, into our lives, and each of us to discern and move exactly where he wants us to go. It shows that we are intentionally seeking Jesus' lordship in our lives. And that's exactly what we want to do in this series. But today we embark on the next topic that Jesus brings in on the Sermon on the Mount. And frankly, it's probably the oldest and most obvious of all Christian practices, and that is prayer. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start reading in verse 5. We're going to recap a little bit of last week, but we're going to go from verse 5 to verse 15, and then we're going to jump to chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 7 through 12. We're not skipping over the middle. We're just reading the parts that Jesus talks about prayer together in this sermon. So would you take out your Bible, Bible app, and, uh, and it will be on the screen as well if you can follow along. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Flipping over to chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what, would, what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Would you pray with me?
Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you open our eyes and our ears to read afresh these words? Would you open our hearts to hear from you and only you today, Jesus? Would you help us to grow in our own prayer life as we dive deep in your word? We thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, in everything that Jesus did during his earthly ministries, Jesus' prayer life is actually one of the most remarkable facets of his life. If you, if you take a brisk walk, really, through the Gospels, you'll notice that not just on occasion, but quite often, Jesus secluded himself from crowds to pray, to pray to his heavenly Father. It's one of the recurring themes in the Gospel. <clears throat> Now, in the text that we just read, Jesus goes at two big ideas. And here's the first one. Recapping a little bit of last week, he says this in verses 5 and 6. He shows that, first of all, hypocrisy is the misuse of the purpose of prayer. In other words, if you're hypocritical in prayer, praying in front of people so people see you, you're diverting the glory from God to yourself. And Jesus says, that's not the purpose of prayer. But starting in verse 7, Jesus takes a couple steps forward and he says this. He goes further and he shows how when we reduce prayer to mechanics, when you reduce prayer to a transaction, to simply just trying harder, he says you misuse and you misunderstand the very nature of what it means to pray to your heavenly Father. Now, I want us to notice perhaps one of the the most obvious, but I think one of the most overlooked aspects of this passage, and here it is. Notice how when Jesus says, here's how you should pray. This is what he doesn't do. He doesn't give them a a step-by-step process. He doesn't give them a formula. What does he give them? He gives them a prayer. You see, what Jesus wanted his followers to notice were the ingredients so to speak, that he included in his prayer. And he wants them, he wants us to include those same ingredients in ours. And here is where Jesus calls us into the wonder of prayer to your heavenly Father. Now, here's a, here's a moment of, of confession for me. Prayer is something that the Lord has been growing even in my life in this very season that I find myself here today. And, I, and here's why. I think the temptation for most of us in the room today is not to think twice about the way that we engage in prayer. I mean, some of us have been doing it for so long, right? Been coming to church, we've been Christians for so long, or maybe if this is your first time in church or first time in a long time, you have already some preconceived notions of what it means to pray. But the deeper question isn't necessarily what you've already discovered or what you may feel at the moment about prayer, but what you've yet to discover, and how you could feel about prayer, and what Jesus might be calling you to do this very morning. But let's be honest, okay? Prayer is a very wide topic, and we've got just about maybe 25 minutes to to take a crack at it. So we're not going to answer all of life's questions on prayer today, but what we will do is that we're going to examine Jesus' model prayer here in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're just going to see what we can learn from it. What are the ingredients that Jesus asked us to use in our own prayer life? So first, I think that Jesus wants us to include in our prayers 
both intimacy with God, but also respect for God. Take a look at that first verse in Matthew 6, verse 9, these first two lines where he says, this is how you, then you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So I want, you, I want us to notice just those first two words, our Father, our Dad, really. In the ancient world, this was a super radical statement because think of it this way, the, the, the Jews that he might be speaking to in that day, in the Old Testament, the, the name of God was Yahweh, and that's what the Jews knew that God's name was. But here's how afraid they were of it. They would not so much as even write the name of God in the Old Testament because they were so afraid that they would come across it and they would pronounce it by accident and take his name in vain. And Jesus is saying, our Father, Notice the endearment that he is doing there. And in, in calling God our Father, he's evoking all the intimacy, the love, and the passion and grace that we as God's children should be pursuing in prayer. And just like children have access to their parents 24-7, and trust me, I'm experiencing the 24-hour part of that, <laughs> especially last night, that we have 24-7 access to our Heavenly Father. But now I think that there's, there's a popular myth out there, and here's how it goes, that only people who know how to pray, only people who, and I put that in quotations, know how to pray, can access intimacy with God. I remember sitting down with a, with a young man who was relatively new to his faith, and we were talking about some challenging life circumstances that he was going through, and as we were talking, I said, hey, why don't, as we finished talking, excuse me, I said, hey, why don't why don't we pray? And I, I want you to pray and ask the Lord to meet you where you are, for him to guide you, for him to give you wisdom. And here's, here's what he told me. And I've, I, I'm sorry to say, I think I've heard this far too often that I'd like to hear it. He said, Jose, I, I just don't know how to pray. I don't know how. And here's Here's the danger with that thought process and why I bring it up. Because sometimes if you think, I've never really engaged in prayer and I just, I just don't know how to pray, what you end up doing is not praying. And you think that you have to go to other people who know how to pray, who have God's ear, so to speak, more than you. But here's, here's the dead honest truth. Every single one of us, everyone is invited Everyone is invited to pray and grow intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Honestly, prayer is simply talking with God. Not to God. Notice the preposition there. Not to God. Talking with God. In human terms, prayer is a conversation. And being good at conversation, just like with anybody, your friends, your spouse, anybody you might have a conversation with, it's an art. And you get better by practicing but now on the other hand jesus says our father who's in heaven he says hallowed be your name hallowed meaning let your name be holy and in other words to have reverence for god's name to to keep god's name as as separate different holy above every other name it's a call to honor god to worship god in our prayer. So firstly, Jesus says we, you, we need some intimacy in our prayers. We need some respect in our prayers. But secondly, he wants to show us that we need a spirit of surrender to God in our prayers, but also a boldness to make requests, a boldness to make requests. 
Check out the next couple verses from 10 to 13 where Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Oh God, deliver us from the evil one. Now, I don't, I don't think we quite grasp sometimes what Jesus is praying here when he says, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, Jesus is telling us that our prayers need to reflect, guess who's in charge? God's in charge. And we're not. He is Lord. He is sovereign. And we come before him humbly. But even as the great God he is, the sovereign Lord that he is, God cares about your requests. He wants to know. He wants you to ask for your daily bread, for forgiveness, for deliverance. He wants you to ask. But the surrender part comes when you request and you leave the outcome to an infinite and sovereign God. Now, here's, here's the other popular myth that I want to bring up today that sometimes we believe when it comes to prayer requests. And here's how it goes. Prayer always works if you do it right. Prayer always works if you do it right. And I've, I've seen some people sometimes sort of explain prayer as a formula, right? As some quid pro quo kind of deal that if you, your prayer request didn't happen, it's because you, you did something wrong. Church. God is not a divine gumball machine <laughs> where you put a quarter in and you, you get the flavor that you like. You're not rubbing a lamp when you're talking to God. That's not the God that we serve in. That's not, that's not biblical. So let's stop. Let's just stop here for a moment. And let's, let's be very honest when it comes to prayer requests. Some of you in the room, including myself, we have seen God work miracles miracles through our prayer life we've prayed and God has answered in miraculous ways and you're just like yep there's no other explanation for this than the Lord and it grew your faith tremendously and actually one of the the biggest ways that our faith grows is actually seeing God work in and through our prayer requests but here's the the flip side of that coin I know many of you here have also prayed and prayed and prayed on end, with fervor, and your prayer was seemingly unanswered. And it did exactly the opposite. It destroyed your faith. And you no longer want to pray, and you no longer trust in prayer. Because sometimes there's nothing harder to reconcile, is there, than an unanswered prayer to an infinite and sovereign and good God. But Here's the dead honest truth again. Jesus himself lived with unanswered prayer requests. Jesus himself lived with unanswered prayer requests. And I can think of specifically two, two moments that you can jot down in your notes or in your Bible so you can check them out later. In John 17, Jesus makes a prayer. And he says this. <laughs> he prays that the church, us, would be united that we would be one just like he and the Father are one. Church, can I ask you, and I'm capital C church, all the Christians in the world, are we united today? Are we one? Are we like, are we of the same mind? No. Unanswered prayer request. 
hasn't happened yet. Number two, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is, is praying, before he's, frankly, about to be assassinated, he prays to the Father and he says, Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Let it pass. And actually, that prayer was answered and it was a no. It was a no. And Jesus, and we know, this, we know it was a no because we know the rest of the story. And Jesus had to live with that. But frankly, I find this comforting because we have a Savior who knows the pain of an unanswered prayer and who knows the pain of a no in a prayer. Christian author Philip Yancey, uh, he says this about this very topic in his marvelous book on prayer. He says this, the only solution to unanswered prayer is Paul's explanation to the Corinthians. And here he quotes Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says this, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I also am known. And really what Paul's talking about there is when he meets Jesus face to face. He'll get the explanations that he was missing. But here Philip Yancey, he he expounds on that and he says, no human being, no matter how wise or how spiritual can interpret the ways of God, explaining why one miracle and not another, why an apparent intervention here and not there. Along with the Apostle Paul, we can only wait and trust. Along with Jesus, we can only wait Prayer and only trust. And so Jesus, first he calls us, you need intimacy and respect in your prayers. You need surrender, spirit of surrender, but a boldness to make requests. But lastly, Jesus shows us that prayer is both a grace that is given to us by our heavenly father, but also requires our effort. Take a look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7. We're gonna read from seven to eight. One more time for context. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door, it will be opened. So when, when we read here, Jesus is simply implying that, Jesus is, uh, that God is willing to hear our prayers. And not only willing, he wants us to ask them, but that's just it. We need to ask. We need to put the effort to pray and ask him. And the idea is don't give up on praying. As Paul says, pray without ceasing. And if you think about this, it makes perfect sense. Think about it relationally. How many of you imagine if you were in a relationship that the other person stopped talking to you? Would that relationship work? No. It doesn't work in our relationships and it doesn't work with God either. From my earliest memories, actually, um, this, this value of, of of consistent prayer was instilled to me by my father. Uh, my, my father, who's also called Jose, by the way. <laughs> I had to say that. Uh, my father, who uh, he connected with the Lord in two ways. Number one was through music. And many of you know that I love worship ministry. I love music. So I got that from him. But secondly, he connected to the Lord through prayer. And you see, my, my dad didn't have a father. And where he drew his strength to become a father was through prayer. And almost without fail, my, my father would kneel by the bed. I remember seeing him as a little kid. doesn't matter how late it was or how tired he was. He would kneel by his bed. 
and he would pray for us. And sometimes I don't think I know that my life and my brother's life went in the direction that it did because my dad, my dad prayed every single day for us. And it was through his ask. God knew what he was going to ask. God knew. But it was through his ask that our faith as a family and his faith was deepened. But along these lines, I also, perhaps to illustrate more clearly, think about when uh, a woman knows that her man is going to pop the question. (laughs) I remember when I was going to do that to Giselle. She knew the ask was coming, right? She knew the ask is coming. I actually almost had to put the ring on layaway or, or on, on protective custody so she wouldn't find it. Because, man, she was, I mean, she was doing some deep investigation. I had to hide it. She knew it was coming. But guess what? I had to ask anyways. There's a moment and there's an experience there that wouldn't have happened without the ask. And in the same way, God wants us to do the same. But similarly, there's yet another myth that I think sometimes people find with prayer. And here's what it is. Maybe you've heard it. Prayer doesn't change things outside of me. Prayer just changes how I feel about things. Or maybe you've heard it this way. The, the, the biggest thing that prayer changes is me. That sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And I think that that's the common assumption in the room, but it's actually a huge misunderstanding. It's a half-truth. Does prayer change us? Yes. Does it help us grow our faith and our character? Yes. But does prayer change things outside of us? Does prayer move God to act on our behalf, to heal, to deliver, to forgive? Absolutely. It absolutely does. Perhaps the best example, I mean, you can just, you just uh, open the pages of the Bible and you read, you'll see the prayers of God's people and God moving on behalf of their prayers. But perhaps the best summary statement is found in James 5, 13 through 16, where James, the brother of Jesus, he writes this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them. Anoint with them oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And here's the punchline. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer changes things outside of you, church. And it's exactly what the Bible teaches us. And so when we put this all together, Everything that Jesus is showing us here, I think what what Jesus is calling us to do is reevaluate our prayer life. He wants you to guard your heart from reducing your faith to a program, from reducing the beauty of a conversation with God to a wish list. Jesus wants you to know that his faith is not a transactional faith. We don't serve a transactional God. We serve a father that loves you, wants a dynamic and real relationship with his children. And for all of those this morning that are learning to pray for the first time, I want you to know that Jesus doesn't want you to be long-winded in your conversation with him. He doesn't even want you to use fancy words. He doesn't care. The only thing he wants you to be is sincere. That is it. With an open heart.
He says he's gentle and lowly. And when you come to him in faith, he opens his arms wide and he hears you. And exactly, that's exactly what we want to create a space for in this moment. The band is going to play one final song for us, but it's going to be a little bit different than usual. Instead of us standing and, and singing perhaps loud, you know how we do, we're going to remain prayerful. We want this to be an opportunity for you to go and practice this very sermon. Apply it and pray to your heavenly Father. The, the altar, of course, is open. If you don't feel comfortable to the, author, the, the altar, excuse me, just stay in your seat. Stay in the pew. Do you need to grow in your intimacy with the Lord? Do you need to surrender something? Do you need to make a request? Or do you need to renew your commitment to him? Be honest with him. It doesn't matter where you've come from or how far you've gone. He wants to talk to you. Don't miss the moment and do it now. As the band is getting ready, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the gift that we call prayer. We thank you for the privilege of a conversation that we can have with you. We thank you because you don't judge us when we come to you honestly and openly with a contrite heart. Lord, if we're ashamed or we feel guilty coming to you this morning, would you just... Would you just speak to our heart in this moment and push that guilt and shame aside? If there's anything hindering our honesty with you, would you reveal it to us? Reveal it to our church, each and every one of us in this moment. Jesus, would you speak to us? We ask in your name. Amen. The altar is open. Pray to your heavenly Father. Church, I hope spend time with your heavenly father and my prayer is that you would hear from him and that he would hear from you this time would you would you stand and receive this blessing as we go out if you need more prayer we do have our prayer team standing by on my back left your back right corner but at this time would you just close your eyes and maybe stay in a posture of of prayer and just receive this blessing from from paul to his letter from the romans where he said this now may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, go with God. We'll see you next week. God bless.